There are a couple of things I hope to do with my message this morning. One is to keep in your mind the DVD traces of the trade that we'll be showing after after the reception. It's a really good jumping off place for some uh, conversation, but while I am employing the metaphor of slavery, I do not want anyone to think that I am trivializing the horrors that were a part of our history. But the other thing I want to do is lift up one idea that I think plays a part in freeing us personally and also as a community. A few weeks ago, I spoke about the crack in everything that the light gets in through, that our weaknesses are necessary. And then uh, shortly after that, Dennis Lauer spoke about embracing our limitations and realizing that we do have limitations and that's a part of who we are and it's a perfect part of who we are. And we need to be at peace with exactly who we are in our inherent limitations. But today I'm, I, I want to talk about finding freedom from the self-imposed limitations to which we are slaves. This past week, I was away for several days at the annual district minister's retreat. And this was the first year I was invited to go. Um, so I was un- it was unfamiliar territory for me. As you might imagine, I was watching those around me for cues and clues. Uh, most had been there before. And while a few in attendance came to be Unitarian Universalist ministers through unconventional routes, the majority of them had completed seminary, had been ordained, had been ordained, and had received at least a preliminary approval from the committee in our denomination that gives those things. It's the Ministerial Fellowshipping Committee. Uh, And I have to admit, in some ways, I felt pretty guarded. I would imagine it was a little like being an enlisted person at the officer's club. I'm not in the service, but that, you know, I would just have to think that's a little bit how it felt. Um, The food was good. The accommodations were wonderful. And I think I've begun some new friendships. We had worship services each day, meditation time, workshops, small groups, speaker meetings, and I attended all of them. Um, We also had a good deal of free time for exercise and group activities or relaxation if we preferred. I think it's a little ironic or at least odd that the first time in my life I shoot a shotgun it's at a Unitarian Universalist minister's retreat. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you a little of that story. Uh, I, went, I went to check on renting a horse, to go horseback riding. I thought, that's relaxing. It's 
pastoral, you know, and, and all this. And uh, no one was at the stable. But I did see employees over at the skeet range with other ministers. So I stopped back by there to inquire about the horses. And they said we had to have a group of a certain size or we couldn't go. Um, and so I decided while I was there I'd just watch. And I saw a couple of the ministers doing, you know, whatever their turns were, their rounds at, at skeet shooting. And one of the ministers who I've known for a number of years, she and I went to leadership school together. Um, it was her turn. She took about three shots, said it hurt, and she wasn't having any fun, and asked me if I would finish her turn. <laughs> I had never fired a shotgun in my life. But let me just say that the recognition I was not getting as chaplain, I got <laughs> for the for the skeet ranch. Uh, the people there were telling me I needed to go into this, and I'm thinking, is it a line of work? <laughs> uh, but that that was pretty cool. Everything was quite nice, and I had extended conversations with. A number of ministers. I asked a group of ministers who had uh, graduated from Meadville Lombard about the same time that Lynn did what the most useful information was that they had gotten from seminary. One of them said, be sure to polish your shoes. Another one said, Always have mints in your pocket when you're greeting people after church. <laughs> and I just kind of looked at them, and one of them said, Oh, you're serious, and then they changed the conversation. Well, that was interesting. Uh, but I had an extended conversation with someone who spoke a lot about how fortunate the people are who recognize their brokenness understand that they're broken and, and don't try to pretend that they're perfect anymore. Still, the last morning that I was there, I was talking with an intern minister from All Souls in Tulsa before breakfast. Um, People were a little slow coming to breakfast that morning because there had been a cocktail party the night before. Um, this was her first year at the retreat also. And I had been reflecting on the whole experience and discovered that I was feeling disappointment. Here we were at the end of the retreat and I was sleepy I was full of questions, and the long list of things I needed to do when I got back started to filter through and fill up my thoughts. But it was then that the thought occurred to me that I could have skipped some of those events. None of them were mandatory. We were told to take whatever time we needed for ourselves, but I could have actually retreated for a while 
to reflect more, rest and recharge. So I was hesitant to expose this about myself because, you know, I was the one who was kind of unofficially there. And she had her credentials, even though she was an intern. Anyway, after hesitating, I finally said, I feel a little like I squandered my time here. And she stopped and looked at me and said, so do I. That exchange made me feel more a part of that community than anything else that had happened in the whole time I was there. I had to drop my facade and make it safe for someone else to drop theirs. This felt very clean to me, this communication. It, it felt honest. And it felt real good. I, at least on the tr retreat, I filled up enough to be free enough to be vulnerable. Why is that so hard for us to do? to drop our personas and expose our unadorned, flawed, cracked, and limited human selves, to be open to connection. Yes, we have all been hurt. Yes, from those hurts we have learned survival skills. They have been necessary at parts of our lives, but we're adults. We have to begin making choices about them and not letting those habits enslave us. We're all smart enough to know that every layer we wear is that much more dead weight we carry around? That much more restriction we're putting on who we really are? I think in a lot of ways, the things that we do, perhaps for the sake of career or or um, social standing are a bit like the emperor's clothes. The illusions that we talk ourselves into because we think they're necessary. But it takes us in community being honest enough to say the emperor has no clothes to make this the kind of safe place that we all want to be a part of. 
I had warned you a few weeks ago that I was becoming quite fond of Parker Palmer, a uh, uh, public intellectual. And this is another excerpt from him. Change is painful. We don't want to know what we know because it would take us right to the edge of change. And a lot of this kind of knowledge is, in fact, I think, secrets hidden in plain sight. I'll give you a quick example. One of the breakthrough studies recently done in what makes schools successful on behalf of kids is a factor they call relational trust. They found that if a building is full of people who trust each other, you're going to get great outcomes for kids even if the school is unfairly deprived of the resources it needs. Because if people trust each other, they will come into community. They will generate abundance. They will love the kids and love each other, and good education will emerge. If a building is full of people who don't trust each other, you can throw a lot of money at them, state-of-the-art curriculum and teaching technique, and not much good will come out the other end. Well, this is a breakthrough study done by two scholars from a notable university, and you'd have to say, well, duh. <laughs> who doesn't know that? Well, we don't know it collectively because trust building is hard to do. It requires an investment of the heart. In the Christian Testament, John 8.32 says, You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free, set you free. Our spirits are very wise. They refuse to grow beyond the size of the box in which we keep them. If we lock them in, they will not grow past that. But they know how to if we let them out of the box. They know when we have created limits by shut, shutting off and hiding who we truly are. We build our own prisons and forge our own shackles by not facing our own truths. But our self-imposed slavery doesn't stop there. Before we can find the ways to help others to freedom, we must know the way ourselves. We're growing all the time. I know we are. We're peeling off layers all the time. I watch us do it. We just have farther to go. So that we can build a community of trust, we must be brave enough to change the habits of our minds and become more honest and more open. In this country, we have more physical freedom than most of the people in the world. Why do we then restrict our spirits 
limit our hearts and souls by dividing ourselves into public and private people and faces. We already have the freedom, but to experience it, taking that chance comes first. Then comes trust, then deeper community, and then abundance. In a song he wrote about slave traders and pirates called Redemption Song, Bob Marley wrote these words. Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom? I skipped a piece there. Because all I ever have, redemption songs. <laughs> 